This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. We come now in Mark chapter 11 to a very important passage. You can see that it is important from the very first verse. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives. Can you see why this passage is so important? It, it, it mentions our church name, Bethany. It must be important. Our church is named after it. Well, more seriously, this passage is important because of what it tells us about Jesus. Now please join me as we ask God to help us to hear His Word. God, thank you that you speak and you speak clearly and by your Spirit you are at work nourishing and feeding each one of your sheep. Please help us to hear and have soft hearts to receive uh, that we may embrace the Lord Jesus that we may behold Him for who He is and we may submit and embrace Him for He is uh, the shepherd that you've given us He is the King that we need to acknowledge and give our lives to Thank you Father Amen So this is the famous passage that is recorded in all four Gospels of Jesus entering Jerusalem. Now we see that Jesus gives precise instructions to his disciples to go to the village and there they will find a colt, a young donkey, which no one has ever ridden. And the idea there is that it is set apart. This young donkey has been set apart for a special purpose and they are to bring it to the Lord Jesus. Now, those of you in podcast land, you will not be able to see the Lego stop motion video that the kids did to enact this whole scene of uh, the disciples getting the donkey, bringing it to Jesus and then uh, Jesus riding it into Jerusalem. And then the, the crowds in Jerusalem laying their cloaks down, uh, holding the special branches and shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. Uh, if you like, you can ask me for the video. Now, what the crowd shouts, uh, Hosanna, it means, Lord, save us now. It is a form of praising God. Praising God that this God is the God who will save, who will fulfill His promise to save. And they recognize in verse 10 that Jesus is that promised Son of David. Because they say, verse 10, Blessed is the coming kingdom of our Father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. So this Jesus entering Jerusalem now, He is entering, fulfilling God's promise that a descendant of David will come and will bring salvation. Now the majority of the passage is devoted to how the young donkey is acquired and uh, the two lessons to be learned from there. The first is, as Jesus enters Jerusalem, the point is made 
that he is fully in control. And, you know, through his sovereign uh, omniscience, he knows what will happen. He tells the disciples ahead of time what will happen. It shows that he is fully in control of the situation. Now, the second thing that uh, we must learn with the donkey is that it is a fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, which says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. And this was exactly what uh, the crowd was doing. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a coat, the foal of a donkey. So quite clearly, here is Jesus fulfilling that prophecy of Zechariah and it is a prophecy of how the king, when he comes, he will come as a righteous king, as a victorious king, but most importantly, he comes as a lowly king. Now we need to understand what lowly means. Now lowly doesn't mean he is uh, you know, low in standard, he is, uh, you know, under some other kings, he is a low-class king. No, no. Lowly, I think the best way to explain it is to see that in the Greek, it is the same word that is used in a famous passage in Matthew 11. Now, once I read it, you will recognize the passage. It is Jesus' invitation where he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Now the word in the Greek when the Zechariah is translated into, when the Old Testament is translated into Greek, the, the word for lowly is the same word that is used for gentle. So the key point of Jesus fulfilling the Zechariah prophecy coming on the donkey is that he is a gentle and humble king. Which is why he can issue that invitation to all those who are weary and burdened. He is that sort of king that is accessible, that is approachable even to the weary and burdened. Those wearied with life, burdened with sin, he invites even those to come to him because he is a gentle, a lowly, a humble king. We don't have to be perfect to come to him. Sinners, those who are suffering, those who are in pain, he invites us to come to him because he is that sort of king. And what Jesus does as he enters Jerusalem, you see in verse 11, is he goes to the temple courts. It's a bit anticlimactic because all he does is he looks around and then he goes back to, yes, you got it, Bethany uh, with his disciples. Now this account is continued with what happens the next day. So next day, uh, they wake up in the morning and they leave Bethany and they're on their way back to Jerusalem. It's about a 5km distance. And Jesus is hungry. And in the distance, he sees a fig tree in leaf. And he goes to see if there's any fruit. And when he finds there's no fruit, 
he curses the fig tree. Now, some people, um, they have trouble with the way Jesus is acting at this point because Mark tells us it is not the season for figs. And so, I mean, isn't it a bit ridiculous? It's not the season for figs. And then our Lord goes there and when there's no figs, he curses. I mean, it's a bit OTT, right? Well, few things to say here. Uh, the first is to say that there is the Markan sandwich. The Mark sandwich appears once again, where the account of the fig tree sandwiches uh, what's in the middle of Jesus judging the temple. So the parable, what happens to the fig tree is like an acted parable of what Jesus does in the temple. So the fig tree gives the impression of being fruitful. But in actual fact, it is barren. And that is a parable of what happens with the temple. Jesus goes there. From a distance, the temple looks abundant, abundantly fruitful. Uh, There's spiritual fruit. But upon closer inspection, it is actually devoid of any spiritual fruit and it deserves judgment. Now, the thing to say about the fig tree is that the people who study fig trees, uh, they tell us that when a fig tree has leaves, it means that the unripe buds of the fig would have been there. So, Jesus is going there not expecting to find fully mature ripe figs, but simply by the presence of leaves there should be the unripe figs, the buds, the nodules of the figs. And when there is none, he curses it. So this is, the, as I've said, the acted parable of what Jesus does in the temple. Now, uh, those of you in podcast land, uh, you will not be able to see the short clip of Jesus cleansing the uh, the temple that I found on YouTube, but you can go, you can Google Son of God. I think the movie is called Son of God. Uh, Jesus cleanses the temple and you will get a sense of the immensity of the building, the activity that's going on there, and uh, some sense of the, the anger and the judgment of Jesus and what's happening at the temple. So we see that he dries out the money changers, he dries out those selling doves, he overturns the benches, and then he says, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? Now this is what the temple was supposed to be. Jesus quoting from Isaiah 56 verse 7, This is what the temple is supposed to be, a house of prayer for all nations. God's intention is that the temple would be a place where people from all nations would be able to come and worship Him. But the merchandise selling and the money changing, all this is happening in what is called the court of Gentiles. So if you were a Gentile, the furthest you could go into the temple 
and offer your worship to God would be the court of Gentiles. But it is precisely in the court of Gentiles that all this selling and buying, exchanging money is happening. Not very conducive to someone seeking to pray and worship God. So this is what the temple was supposed to be. A house of prayer for all nations. But instead, Jesus says, But you have made it a den of robbers. And here Jesus is quoting from Jeremiah 7 verse 11. Now, when we hear the word robbers, we understandably might think that the main gripe, the main complaint, the main uh, judgment of, of Jesus is against the buying and selling, the making of the temple into a way to make money. But actually, the larger context of Jeremiah 7 tells us that it is not specifically the making money, making uh, of commercial gain out of uh, the temple activity. Because you see, the word den of robbers, the word den, what is the den of robbers? The den is not where robbers go out to rob. The den is actually their hiding place. It is their place of safety. It's where they go after they rob. And so the temple has become the den of robbers. Because the robbing that they do, if you like, is outside in their daily lives. The worship, the obedience, the the worshipping of one God instead of worshipping idols. I mean, all of this, they have robbed God of the true worship that He deserves. They have robbed God of the obedience and of the trust that He deserves. And then they run to the temple. They flee to the temple as they're then thinking that the temple is a safe place for them because of the activity that goes on there. So there is this seemingly abundance of fruit because of the temple activity but in actual fact it is barren devoid of spiritual fruit and so Jesus judges the temple and so the final piece of the sandwich is the next day as they walk along again they encounter that same fig tree and it is withered from the roots and Peter remembers and says to Jesus Rabbi look the fig tree you curse has withered. And so the point is the judgment that Jesus issues on temple, on the religion of Israel, that judgment will come to pass. And we will see in a matter of a few short decades that judgment of Jesus uh, being executed. Now, the rest of the passage in verses 22 to 25 talk about prayer. And uh, Adani and I have done a special additional video to explain uh, how 22 to 25 fit in with the uh, passage that we have here. Uh, so if you're interested, you can check your email and you will see and just click onto the link and see the YouTube video that we prepared for you and hopefully you find it helpful. Now I want to just draw things to a close here and 
get to the main point. We see in Jesus cleansing the temple that as this righteous and victorious king, he has come in and he is fierce and he is uncompromising. The temple, the leadership, the the people of Israel, they have not met up to God's high standards and, and Jesus rightly, he is issuing judgment. He is um, upset and he is uncompromising. But the question here is if he is this fierce and uncompromising and, and, and ready to issue judgment sort of king, then how can he be gentle and humble toward sinners? How, how dare we who are so wearied and burdened with life, the, the challenges of life, with sin and our failures and our weaknesses, how dare we even approach such a king? And the answer to that question is how Jesus can be such an uncompromising, a fierce king and how he can be that lowly and gentle, humble king that is accessible to sinners. I mean, the answer to that is why is he even in Jerusalem? Why is he even in Jerusalem? And we know studying Mark that Jesus has told us, he's told his disciples again and again, that the Son of Man must go to Jerusalem. He must go there because this is the Son of Man who has come not to be served, but to serve, giving his life as a ransom for many. And so it is in Jerusalem that Jesus will lay down his life so that the sin, the the weakness, the failures that, that we have, that we are burdened by, He bears for us the judgment that we so rightfully deserve so that He can issue that invitation. He can say, come to me, you who are weary, you who are burdened, come to me. I am gentle, I am humble, take my yoke, take my burden, it is a light one. For I am a good king, I am a gentle and humble king. And so the question for us is, is Jesus your king? You see, when the crowds cried out, Hosanna, you know, Lord, save us, they had little idea what they were actually shouting for. They had little idea what would be involved in this king, majestic, glorious, worthy as he is. What it means for this king to fulfill God's promise to save. They had little idea. But we do. We know just what this king has done in order to save us. And so the question is, is he your king? Now, what other king would you rather have? What other king, you know, that is his, his name above all names, Lord of Lords, King of Kings, and yet he bids us sinners, sufferers, those burdened and wearied with the pain and, and uh, our weaknesses, he bids us to come as we are, come to him, embrace his yoke, embrace 
His kingship. And may God help each one of us to do that. Amen. Welcome to the additional video explaining Mark chapter 11, verses 22 to 25. Now it seems on the surface that Mark has just tacked on at the end of this passage some random verses on prayer and just put them together. Now there are two main ways to understand Mark at this point. One is without Old Testament significance. The other main way is where we take into account a possible Old Testament quotation that Mark has in mind. We'll look at both in turn. So the first way of understanding these verses is assuming that Mark is not alluding to any Old Testament passage. And so after Jesus has taught about how judgment is coming on the temple, coming on all those who trust in man-made religion. Verse 22 calls on the disciples to instead have faith in God. The only way out of this judgment is to trust God and not man-made religion. And so truly, trust God because... Only God can do the impossible for those who ask in faith. And what is impossible for man is possible for God, which is to be saved. And so when we ask, we must trust. Trust in God. Trust not in what we can achieve, but trust in what He has done. And so if we trust that God can forgive, then we must admit that we are sinners who are forgiven. And so if we are forgiven sinners, we recognize that it means that we will also forgive others. The other way of understanding these verses is if we assume that Mark is having Old Testament passages in view. And it takes the this mountain of verse 23 to refer to the mountain that Jesus and his disciples are actually standing on, which in verse 1, we can understand to be the Mount of Olives. Now, Adonai will read for us uh, from Zechariah. Chapter 14, verse 4, which mentions the Mount of Olives. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will be split into two from east to west, forming a great valley, with half of the mountain moving north and half moving south. Okay, so you see the Old Testament prophecy in Zechariah pictures the coming of God's kingdom uh, as a picture of judgment together with salvation. And what will happen when that great day comes is to save God's people, the mountain will actually be split. There will actually be a removal of the mountain. So Jesus may have this in mind 
when he calls on his disciples to, with faith, trust in God, with faith, pray. Pray, trusting that God will come true on his plan to save. Now, there's a lot more that could be said. And you can ask me when Circuit Breaker is over, which interpretation that I personally am more in favour of. See you. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.